0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie. And on this episode, we decided to throw the rule book out and do 1947's Miracle on 34th Street.
1: Yeah. So as we've been plugging for a while, the next canon episode was supposed to be Platoon. And uh, I got a text from Ian yesterday as I was doing background research on Platoon and literally about to press play on the movie. And he was like, I feel sad and don't want to watch that because it's going to be sad. And I was like... <laughs> That's valid. Would you like to watch Miracle on 34th Street instead? And he was like, "Yes, please." So that's what we're doing. And it
0: was such a good decision. I needed this movie instead. Even though it's like early, early, early November, I'm okay with. Yeah, holidays. I um
1: I know a lot of people consider this a favorite Christmas movie. I have actually always thought of it more as a Thanksgiving movie uh, because my family would watch it every year right after the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, which of course is kind of what kicks off the movie and so much of it is centered around the macy's department store santa claus and whether or not he is in fact the real santa
0: claus and it gets serious like judges get involved
1: oh yes also consider <laughs> uh, this a great courtroom drama um but a little bit more about it as ian said it is from 1947 um it is directed and written by george seaton and based on a story by valentine davies it stars Maureen O'Hara, who on this podcast we would know from How Green Was My Valley. She played, um, I can't remember how to say Anharad. her name. Unharid. Because I was like, I remember we had to practice it a lot.
0: Yes, it was very Welsh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but she's in that. Uh, it also stars John Payne, Edmund Gwynn, and a very young Natalie Wood.
0: Oh, that was Natalie, that was Wood, Natalie is Wood Susie? That was Natalie
1: Wood Susie. As I said, the story takes place between Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day, and it's focusing on a Macy's department store Santa. This movie was actually nominated for Best Picture.
0: Oh, good. Do you
1: know what it lost to?
0: In 47? Oh, I should remember this, but I don't remember this.
1: I don't think you would necessarily remember this movie. It lost to Gentleman's Agreement
0: interesting yeah. okay so i i could understand why they the academy would consider gentlemen's agreement a more worthy winner over this cuz th- this movie while extremely well executed is not weighty per se
1: i have a little bit of a issue with that statement which i will bring up later i think this movie for like a wholesome, feel-good family film, I think there's actually some very important commentary that happens. Um, But I think at the end, maybe we'll revisit that and say whether or not we think... And I agree. I totally understand why the Academy would go for *Gentlemen's Agreement mm-hmm. that year. Um, But I think we should maybe return to that at the end.
0: And don't let me try and say that it's not. It's more like the Academy has a hard on for weighty themes and i just does not uh, (laughs) necessarily fit that bill
1: (laughs) there are also a couple other awards it got so george seton won for best writing of a screenplay valentine davies won for best writing original story and edmund gwen who plays chris kringle won for best supporting actor
0: okay his so
1: well earned
0: joy to or however you pronounce that i cannot but it's just like he's so amazing you even texted me he's like he's human and i'm like in such an amazing way he's like all of the good human aspects yes. rolled into one
1: yeah and i we will go so in depth on his performance and his portrayal of santa claus because it's it's chef's kiss chef's kiss it is perfection i 100 percent agree with that oscar win Um, As well as the Oscars, uh, this movie also appeared in several of the AFI lists. So it was number nine on AFI's top 100 cheers. So feel good movies.
0: It is a feel good movie.
1: Um, It was number five on AFI's 10 top 10 for the fantasy category, which I, I mean, it is a fantasy. Like it's not what I would traditionally think of fantasy, which is like you know, kind of like the different world magic type deal, but like mm-hmm. it, it really is a fantasy. There's so much stuff that happens in it that you're like, is that coincidence or is it Christmas magic? <laughs> oh,
0: I'll take it. I'm okay with it because I really liked, really liked this movie.
1: Yeah. It was also nominated for AFI's top 100 best movies and also nominated for AFI's film score. Um, This was also another little piece that I wanted to throw in here, but the Catholic Legion of Decency... Did give it a B plus, which means morally objectionable in part because Maureen O'Hara's character is divorced.
0: I literally have a note that when that was dropped, I'm like, oh, this is some controversial shit right here.
1: I love it and I think it's so important and informative to her character mm-hmm. and to Susan.
0: Well, and that again, your comment about the weighty themes. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Like they are they that. are
1: a real family. Like they're not. The quote unquote quintessential American family that I think gets depicted so often, particularly in stuff from the 50s and 60s. I actually the more stuff we've seen in the 30s and 40s, the more I appreciate that it actually isn't as uniform as I think stuff is in like the 50s and 60s. I think Mm -hmm. there's actually more variety in the 40s and 30s. And there's a lot more nuance to female characters. You get a lot stronger female characters in those eras, too.
0: Yeah. I, I think that is reflective of the cultural conformity that was kind of forced upon mainstream culture in the fifties and sixties. Well, oh, absolutely. Less so in the sixties than the fifties, but the fifties for sure. Yeah.
1: For sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, some fun stuff. So this was shot on location in New York and the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade sequences were filmed live while the 1946 parade was happening. And Marina Hera and Edmund Gwynn were like, it was so freaking cold. It was the worst. They were like, we were very like envious of um, John Payne and Natalie Wood, who got to just be looking out a window. (laughs) (laughs) And then just another fun little anachronistic detail. um, The real R.H. Macy actually died in 1877 and the Macy's family sold off ownership of the company in 1895. But I do think that there is kind of this important element of like, we can't upset Mr. Macy.
0: Oh, I, I love that function, his function as a character. And I'm also like, why would you sell that off in 1895? But anyway, I don't know their I don't life. Know, I don't know. <laughs> they
1: probably got a lot of money for it. Um. Anyway, I think with that, we should just jump into our watch notes.
0: I agree. So immediately we're introduced to our Chris Kringle character, which I understand he's billed as the supporting actor, but at the same time... I'm not sure I necessarily agree. I think he
1: could be Maine too. Yeah. But immediately it's a great introduction. He's uh, correcting somebody doing like a Christmas window display and telling him that the reindeer are in the wrong order.
0: Which I'm like, how how do you know which reindeer is which when it's made of this like paper mache or No, Ian, you know. I believe. I have faith. My common sense is not overruling this. But it's like
1: (laughs) this wonderful kind of. introduction to him because he he corrects him so nicely and politely but there is a little bit of like a forcefulness to it and a, like a oh well this is not factually correct it is this way
0: he's so self-assured too yes. But it, again it's so already so jolly and he has the look for it like hair and makeup and casting were doing their everything which
1: they even <laughs> comment on like susie comments on like the oh you're better than the other santas because like your whiskers are real
0: mm-hmm. it's Astounding. And I mean, you see that when you he makes his way to the parade and sees the parade Santa getting drunk. Drunk
1: off (laughs) his ass. Yeah. And he is so offended by it. And I love the emphasis on like a the children will be disappointed by this. Mm -hmm. Like he is so offended that this man would disappoint the children who have been waiting to see Santa at the end of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade.
0: Yes. And they would be disappointed, yeah. but that that kind of introduces his character as that his ultimate wish is to provide joy to children at, you know, Christmas time, yeah, and that is in many ways it's just so pure and endearing i
1: mean it it is what Santa should be mm-hmm. right is like to provide happiness and joy. Um, we also get our introduction to Doris Walker, who is Marino O'Hara's character, who is In charge of organizing the parade so i love that we have this very successful professional career woman um it seems like a terrible job (laughs) to organize this parade it seems like a nightmare
0: i related to her chaos
1: i'm sure you did (laughs)
0: because that would have been me
1: (laughs) i'm sure you did um but this is where she is introduced to chris he lets her know that her santa is drunk she's like oh no and asks him to fill in
0: i mean he's a ringer like, you wouldn't say no. She even for
1: a minute thinks he is the Santa that they hired.
0: I did appreciate that touch. Yeah. It's it's perfect. But you can tell she is just wiped when she is finally leaving and going home and, like, getting warm again. Yes. <laughs> Which I, I love that it was literally cold and she was literally cold and didn't have to act too hard for that. It's great. No.
1: And this is where we're introduced to Susan and Fred Gailey. So Susan is Doris's daughter. We immediately are setting up that Susan is very serious. She is very practical. There is no whimsy to Susan. Um,
0: Well, because Doris has not instilled whimsy. It's interesting. And they play with this a little bit where it's like, let kids be kids. And Doris's view of child rearing is not necessarily that.
1: No, because we've of her past experiences. You know she she has a conversation with mr gailey who is their neighbor who like he i i love him as a character he um very much like is interested in doris and definitely like wanted to meet her and he even admits the like oh yeah i I like her the like the best way to meet the mom is to like befriend the kid um which she kind of calls him on and is like oh like that's a interesting strategy basically but you can tell he also genuinely likes kids and Mm -hmm. like genuinely i think wants to help susan like he he i think recognizes that like she's missing out on just some basic childhood fun and it worries him and he like wants to help her and as well um but that does set up this interesting kind of like push and pull between fred being like yeah believe in the whimsy be the kid and doris being like i'm not gonna lie to my child because i don't want her to grow up with these fantasy expectations of how the world works and then later she is disappointed and crushed, kind of alluding to her own ex and mm-hmm. her previous marriage. And I think that that's so just informative of her character. It's so interesting for how she's raising Susan, cause she's doing it purely out of love and a want to protect her kid. But it's like, you know, there's gotta be a balance between the two. Like you need both of those things. Like you can't lie to your kids. You do need to at some point, you know, explain to them how the world really works and mm-hmm. like you can't fully shelter them forever. But you also should let them have fun and like be a kid and like, no, Susan, you're not an animal. You are a girl, but you can pretend to be a fucking monkey. Like, come on, girl.
0: That was probably my favorite Susie scene. We'll
1: get really into that scene. I have a lot of thoughts on that one. (laughs) But yeah, so we introduced that. There's the funny comedic bit where Susan's asking if uh, Mr. Gailey can come to Thanksgiving dinner. And he's like being kind of cagey and Doris is like, oh, well he probably has plans and he's like, oh, well I can't lie to the kid. I actually don't. And then I love when Susie's like, did I ask all right?
0: The fact that they are both in cahoots on this is, is a delight.
1: Yes. Yes. I love it. (laughs) It's clear that
0: Susie likes Mr. Gailey too. Like, yeah, it's
1: their, their relationship is very positive. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I love that. And then at the end after Doris is like, Yes. Okay. Come to dinner. I I love that she's she's amused by that, and I like at the end again where Susie's like, "Did I ask all right?" He's like, "You asked perfectly."
0: <laughs> That's exactly it. That sort of cheerleading is so good for yeah. Susie. It's it's great. So after this scene, we do get some. It one thing that I find kind of interesting in this movie, and it's been a while since I have watched you know a film in the early twentieth century where. A lot of the scenes and some of the dialogue are very functional. So Mm -hmm. one was talking about the coffee where there was this like little back and forth. That was just a total throwaway in my mind, but was talking like, oh, I'll have some coffee, but don't bother. And he's like, it's already on. Okay, well, in that case. Yeah. But the same thing happens in the scene where um, Doris is talking about getting that Santa that she put on the parade into Macy's to be the actual Macy's Santa. So. Moving the story forward, which I would definitely appreciate, but it was just a fun little like, oh, wait, it's been a while since we've had this sort of style of dialogue in film.
1: Which I kind of like. It makes the characters feel more real. And I think having especially those like little exchanges between like Doris and Fred early on kind of makes their relationship feel really easy and natural. But you also get a little bit of that with um, Chris talking to Alfred. Who is like a janitor for the apartment store? He's like the 17-year-old kid yeah. who's a total sweetheart. And he's like complimenting like Chris's Santa costume, which we learned Chris brought his own.
0: Well, naturally, the real Santa would never wear a knockoff.
1: No, of course not. <laughs> um, North Pole Couture for sure. <laughs>
0: I wasn't ready for that. You're welcome. That that's like elevated to an a, a new height.
1: You're welcome. Um, but we also learned that Alfred he says that I think it's like at the Y Hill or like some sort of community center or rec center. He he plays Santa uh for the kids there at Christmas and like he he explains that like he loves doing that just because of like, you know, the look on their faces when they get to talk to Santa and like bringing that Christmas cheer. Um, which I think is so incredibly sweet and it immediately forms a bond between the two of them, which becomes key later. Yes. I like that every character in this movie really does like perform an important function. I also this was where I really noticed how this movie really focuses on the idea that Christmas has become so commercialized. They say commercialism instead of capitalism, but yeah. It,
0: pretty much the same thing. Yeah. But I, I was surprised to hear those themes in a movie from the 40s.
1: I'm actually not that surprised because I think I think you had like a little bit of like disillusionment kind of coming out of the Depression and World War II and stuff like that. But I, I liked that they went very hard on that and that like the true meaning of Christmas is like joy and family and love in a very secular sense. There is no religious element. To how they speak about Christmas in this movie, which I thought was very interesting and not something I had picked up on before, but I actually really liked.
0: I do like that there is agree with you that it is a more secular take on it.
1: I wonder if that's part of the reason, too, that this is such a widely beloved Christmas movie, not only because it's just an incredibly good movie, mm-hmm. but also just like because it it's going to reach across boundaries like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Who knows? Don't know. It's a fun point. But that that whole point that you're making, it it's Santa. Our Santa Claus, our Chris Kringle, who is now the Macy Santa, is sending people to other department stores as a way to make the kids happy. Exactly. Because this mother is about to give. I love the scene with the, oh. the very first scene with the kid.
1: Well, and I just want to point out before that scene starts, we have had Chris's like, quote unquote, training where like mm-hmm. the person was like, here are the toys that we overstocked on that we like misprojected. If a kid doesn't know what they want, push that. And Chris is like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to tell a kid that they want something that they don't want just because like you ordered too many of them.
0: He literally balls up that list and throws it on the ground. And his friend Alfred's like, oh, great. I have something new to sweep up, which is just such a pure. Didn't and- even check that list twice. Yeah, exactly. It's not the right list. It, it doesn't have people on it. It has toys. <laughs> yes.
1: But yes, you have this mother who her son wants. I forget what it is he wants um doesn't matter it's not important it's not at macy's (laughs) but she kind of like leans in and lets chris know like she's like i have been to like three or four different department stores nobody has this like basically like can you kind of steer him away from that um and chris tells the kid like yeah no you will get that thing and the mom is like Dude, what the fuck I just said. Okay, her line
0: was amazing. It's like, go along, honey. Let me thank Santa by myself. And like the tone and the look on her face, you know what's about to happen. He's about to get read the riot act.
1: Well, what Chris does is he flips open a little notebook and he says, this department store on this street has them in stock. It's actually this price, which is really good deal. That's where you should go. And she is blown away by that, that she is like, okay, one department store is sending me to another department store because like... What is what is this ethics in business that's happening? (laughs) Um, And initially, uh, the Macy's people freak out, but then they get a note from that woman. They're basically told by like multiple parents that like they so much appreciate Macy's because they of course assume it's like the department store's policy and all that stuff. They don't know they're talking to potentially the real Santa, (laughs) but that they appreciate that and that because of that. Like, maybe Macy's didn't have a ton of their business before, but Macy's is now going to become the first department store they check for things.
0: That goodwill is insane, but they freak out about it. Like, Doris and her... I, well, I don't know the, the toy department lead. Like, does she work on his team? Anyway, I don't understand how they're connected, but yeah, they are terrified when they're called to Mr. Macy's office. Yes. They're <laughs> like, we're
1: going to get fired, Exactly,
0: <laughs> But...
1: I think... I think, well, initially Doris has already called in Chris and was like going to fire him because then Mr. Macy's like, I love that Santa. And she's like, oh, shit, I just fired him.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit fuzzy on the exact order of events because I know there was a scene where Doris is trying to get Chris Kringle to like tell Susie, quote, the truth. Yeah, I think that's like, later. I think that's later. And we also get a view of his like personnel yes. card with his next of kin being all, all the, the reindeer. Ra- <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that personnel card. I think that's a little bit later, but I, you know, Macy is all for this mm-hmm. um, because, but it's His so interesting. His men are
0: not though. His admin, I think are sad they didn't think of it first. Yeah. Oh, of course.
1: <laughs> well, this is so interesting too, right? So like Chris does the thing that's ethical, but then Macy is now capitalizing on the the ethics for good brand integrity and brand awareness.
0: I was so torn on this because the, the the impact is positive, but does it cheapen that when the reason you're doing it is questionable? I and like purely to, purely th- business driven. I know.
1: Well, as someone who like has a business degree who has worked in marketing previously, like I, God, I totally understand that conundrum. I like to think of it of proof that doing the right thing can be done like it it basically says like there is therefore like i mean it will make me more money should never be the excuse for doing the wrong thing but it completely removes the possibility of that argument even right like it's Mm -hmm. saying like if you're not going to do the right thing just to do the right thing look it also is actually like good for you like there's no reason to not do it
0: yeah and to be honest, like I will take the benevolent business decision where you are doing the right thing, even if it's in in your best interest. But it was still th- the entire kind of relationship between Macy and Gimble and their arms race to try and introduce these policies and like give more money to good causes. Like Chris Kringle's going to donate his big Macy's thank you check to get an X ray machine for the um like elderly home that he lives yeah. in. And that (laughs) gimbal's like, oh, I'll make up the difference. Don't worry, (laughs) which cracks me up. Or he'll get it at cost, something like that. So it's Chris is managing to, through his totally pure intentions and machinations, like do good.
1: But it's almost like, too, like he's, he's, doing good by manipulating the system a little bit. To a certain, to what degree Chris kind of does that purposely, I can't say, but like he's definitely, there's a little mischievousness to him, and I love that.
0: I'm going to say it was all on purpose. <laughs> I would like to think so, too. <laughs> Which is fun.
1: Now I want to talk about my favorite sequence in the entire movie, and the one that I'm tearing up right now thinking about. I cry every time at this part. So it starts off with Fred has brought Susie to the department store because I think like their Doris's like, housekeeper was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna take her to the department store," and he's like, "I'll like I'll take her. It's fine." So he has Susie in line to see Santa, and Susie's like having none of it, and he's just like, "Well, just say hi to Santa. <laughs> <laughs> just being, just be a kid. Like, come on. Like, it's fun." And I kind of like this idea where Susie's like, "Well, this isn't real," and it's like just because you know it isn't real doesn't mean you can't have fun with the fantasy of it. Right. It's like, you know, at Disney World, you know you're not meeting Mickey Mouse. But, like, it's still fun to, like, get a picture with Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Like, come on.
0: Be a kid.
1: Be a kid for a second. But, yeah, Susie is being very practical. Like, when she gets up to Chris and this is the bit where she's like, oh, I know you're not real. Like, my mother hired you. And he's like, doesn't mean I'm not real. She like compliments his beard. She's like, I can't even see the hooks over your ears. And he's like, well, it's real. And tug she's like, on it. Yes. And I love her. <laughs> Natalie Wood's little skeptical face is so good. But the like tug on my beard and he kind of does the like, ouch, like kind of thing. It's the cutest interaction.
0: And can I just say Natalie Wood, all all of the child actors in this were, were great. Natalie Wood is amazing and the looks that she's able to throw at these adults like the skepticism on her face which is is very much a projection of kind of all of the stuff that doris has instilled on her i which i i love that consistency there it's it's great
1: yes and i I feel like she in some ways speaks very similar to marina o'hara too Mm -hmm. and like kind of like you can tell that like she's really mimicking her mom
0: such a testament to the writing.
1: Yes. Oh, it's so good. And I love just Edmund Gwynn, the way he interacts differently, but still so like charmingly and positively with both kids and adults. Yes. It's so amazing. So anyway, Doris sees them talking to Santa. She kind of has a, a little bit of a chat with Fred where she's like, look, like, I appreciate you're trying to do something nice for Susan, but also like, this is my kid. I need to be able to raise her out. I want to, which and then and Fred, because kind of like I disagree, but also like you're right. I'll back off a bit.
0: I was Fred. I'm like, okay, you have a point, Doris, but also, have you read anything on childhood development?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, but I I appreciate kind of like their give and take. Like I I like that Fred and Doris don't always agree, but there is always like I respect your opinion. Mm-hmm. I will back off or I will do this a little bit differently, but also like. I do disagree. Like, I don't know. I thought their relationship was very healthy.
0: For sure. For sure. Like one of the most healthy. Ones. One of the most healthy
1: we've seen. <laughs> but this is where, while Doris and Fred are having that talk, Susie creeps back to the door and is watching Chris. And it's the interaction with the Dutch girl. You have this little girl who it's her adoptive mom kind of leans over to Chris and explains like, um, because he like greets her and she's like, she doesn't speak English. She's Dutch. She was orphaned, in, implying like she was orphaned during World War II. Mm-hmm. Like this this girl lost her parents, was in an orphanage, has been adopted by these American parents. She doesn't speak English. Like it's a heartbreaking story. And he scoops her up and starts speaking Dutch. Oh. And the way that little girl's face just lights up because she so wanted to see
0: Sinterklaas and then they start singing like dutch Dutch christmas songs and it it's this one the sweetness of that and then seeing susie's reaction to it it's it's clear susie knows something yeah she's
1: like Maybe he is. It's like the first bit where she actually starts to use the skepticism she's been taught to reevaluate the stuff she's been told by her mom. Like, it's kind of it's fun. But like you you are like, that's such a Santa thing. Like,
0: of course, Santa would know every single language in all of the the Christmas. So songs that he could to... speak
1: to every child and bring every child joy. Exactly. Like it's,
0: pure joy in oh, that my song. heart
1: every time <laughs> every time
0: but i i do appreciate that Susie still brings that back to her m- mother and of course Doris brushes it away and she's like okay just because i don't speak french doesn't mean i'm joan of Arc." or just because like,
1: i do speak french doesn't mean i'm Joan. Oh, yeah, of Arc, that which is right. a great line
0: <laughs> such a good line but also
1: she's not wrong but i do think there is something too with the choice of it being dutch because that's not a language that Certainly, currently, as far as I'm aware, but probably also in the '40s would not have been widely taught in American schools. I feel like French, Spanish, I took Latin, but like German, like those languages, I feel like, are ones that like I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. about someone knowing Dutch Dutch is more niche, I think, and I've also heard Dutch is very hard to learn.: Interesting. Yeah. but anyway, I, I just think that's, that was like kind of the perfect choice. Mm-hmm. And I love that scene so much.
0: It is amazing.
1: Next we get Doris. I think this is the scene where Doris is having, brings Chris in to explain to Susie that he's not actually Santa. Yes. And he's like, oh, no, like I am Santa. She's like, no, no, no. Susie's a very intelligent, (laughs) practical child. Like you don't have to pretend. And I love how he's having the conversation with Doris, but he is so focused on Susie.
0: Well, it's all about.
1: And we keep calling her Susie. I do want to point out, Doris only calls her Susan.
0: But everyone around calls her Susie.
1: But basically, the person who's treating her like an adult calls her Susan. The people who are treating her like a kid call her Susie. It's such a nice touch. I
0: wish I knew what she wanted to be called, but that's fine. (laughs) For the narrative purpose, I love that touch. Yeah. So, as part, kind of in this portion of the, this is
1: where we get the employee card.
0: (laughs) Oh my god, it's great, and. This is where it's like, okay, Chris, time to uh, give you a psych eval, which, okay, one, his take on the psych evals are hilarious. He's like, they're going to ask me this question, this question, this question, and I'm going to answer George Washington and this and this. and While he's
1: doing the physical, like, reach uh-huh. out your arm and touch your nose, like, he's like, I've been through a ton of these. I pass every one. I was like, girl, even if this man, like, you think he's delusional and, like, he thinks that he's Santa Claus, what a benign form of crazy. Like oh, for sure. So much less disruptive than like thinking you're Theodore Roosevelt and blowing a trumpet every time you charge up the
0: stairs. Well, I mean, I wouldn't argue that uh that particular brand of um atypicalness uh it, it was the the part of that movie that was the most like interesting. Like the murderous ants <laughs> are probably the most the interesting
1: the Brewster the Brewster curse. <laughs> go listen to our episode on of Arsenic and Old lace if you've not also go watch that movie oh. if you've not But like it is, it is a very benign thing, but I love that you immediately cut from like Chris saying all that stuff to Doris to him talking to, I think it's Mr. Sawyer.
0: Uh, Yeah. That motherfucker.
1: God, what? He's, he's our villain.
0: He is a hundred percent the villain. And he, it's, it's like clear that he does not want to buy into anything that Chris Kringle is saying that during the exam, but he's
1: asking the exact questions and Chris is answering them. Oh, that was
0: such a great transition. (laughs) But but Chris is, like, also asking, like, sorry, are you happy? Like, what's going on? Because he's, like, he's clearly not. <laughs> exactly. Because he's, like, this bitter man, wannabe psychologist. that
1: <laughs> yes Oh, my God. I love the bit where he says something about, like, he basically like asks Sawyer about his marriage. And Sawyer's, like, I've been happily married for 26 years. And then when Chris leaves, his secretary's, like, your wife is on that line. And he's, like, having this, like, awful conversation well, with his wife. Yeah.
0: And he's, like, I told you not to bother me. And also, I give you plenty of damn money to run the house. So... If your brother worked, all this. And I'm like, you are a horrible, bitter person. Holy
1: shit. Like, what a miserable individual who can't just wallow in his own misery but is going to want to bring everyone down. So he's arguing that, like, oh, we have to get rid of Chris because, like, he'll snap. It's inevitable, which... Okay, self-fulfilling prophecy. Also, like, I'm sorry, but if you make someone snap, you can't be mad at them for their actions within reason.
0: (laughs) I would say that chris probably did cross that line
1: i'm okay with it because i I hate sawyer he was fine he was fucking fine he was chris later like just pops him on the head with his umbrella and it's fine and then sawyer's like he assaulted me and i'm like you were being a dick
0: (laughs) anyway we do get to see sawyer against the like legitimate yeah
1: psychologist yeah from
0: the um i guess nursing home that chris lives in and the the one from the home is like okay no he's benevolent
1: yeah he's like he's perfectly nice like and the one thing he says is that he says you know if you're worried it'd be nice if like someone who maybe like worked here if he could like rent a room from them and stay with them that way he has someone to ride with to work with he's not making that long commute every day i love what is what is like doris's coworker's name i do like him and his wife um, let me find him. Halloran,
0: or is it Julian? Oh, it
1: might be Julian. It's, I, oh, it's Shellhammer. Yep. It's Julian Shellhammer. Yeah. So, Shellhammer is like, Well, I guess he can stay with me, but I'm gonna have to convince my wife. It's fine. I'll make the martinis double strong tonight. <laughs> and he's like, But can he, like, while I'm having that conversation, slash getting my wife drunk, so she'll agree Santa can live with us? <laughs> well, can he, like, go home with you for dinner? Mm hmm. And Doris agrees.
0: Okay. One, the setup is great because we know at this point that Chris Kringle's goal is to convert Doris to believing. He's
1: told her. He's like, I consider you and Susie kind of like my test case. Like if I can get the two of you to believe, then there's hope. Otherwise, like what am I doing?
0: Yeah, because they are going to be tough customers from that perspective. Absolutely. But I love that all of a sudden, okay, Chris Kringle is at Gailey's apartment in close proximity to doris and susie and it's like okay i see the writing on the wall even if mrs shellhammer agrees everybody's in too close proximity now that whole like miss shellhammer thing that was hilarious (laughs) funny
1: i made them triple straight
0: yes she's lounging on the trying to talk on the phone but it's like the wrong (laughs) way and then she moves it to the other ear, still upside down okay mrs shellhammer was great
1: oh it was like um a lila bliss yes yeah, oh. split second appearance but so great and so memorable this i believe is the
0: monkey imagination the monkey scene. imagination it scene it's delightful because you see chris kringle and susie kind of interacting in in his like nurturing grandfatherly way yes. about it
1: he i had that note too where i was like he's like the world's best grandfather there.
0: yes Um, Because he's, like,
1: asking what she wants for Christmas. And she's, like, well, I want something, but, like, you won't be able to get it. For, like, whatever I want, my mom will get for me. As long
0: as it is practical.
1: As long as it is practical and not too expensive. And he's, like, okay, different tactic. Like, what games do you like to play? Like, like, really trying to engage her. And he's, like, asking about, like, other kids that she plays with. Like, you know, tell me about your friends. Mm -hmm. And this is where we, like, kind of learned that, like, in her desire to protect... Susan later in life, Doris has kind of isolated her from other kids um, because she tells the story of like some of the other kids in the building were like in the basement playing, and she walked down there, and one of them was like, We're playing zoo. I'm the zookeeper. What kind of animal are you? And she goes, I'm not an animal. I'm a girl, which I thought was hilarious. It was. <laughs> but he's like, No, no girls here. Like just animals. You have to leave. And so she leaves, and Chris is like, Well, I love him his explanation of imagination. Oh my He's like, God. you know how like Britain's a nation and the US is a nation and France is a nation. She's like, yeah. He's like, well, there's also the imagination. And it's like this special country where like you get to have like fun and fantasy, and you can be anything you want and do anything you want. And that starts to kind of captivate Susan.
0: And I'm gonna do this such injustice, but he has the most amazing examples where it's like, wouldn't you want to fly a plane down Fifth Avenue? Like th- I'm paraphrasing. So hard right now but it's that sort of fanciful fun sounding stuff and it's like okay you can do this anytime you just have to go to your imagination <laughs> yeah so
1: then i but i love that he like does that and he's like, okay well, let's start small so next time you go down there and this this kid asks you what type of animal you are you're gonna say you're a monkey and she's like well i don't know how to be a monkey and he's like well i'll show you how to be a monkey and it is the cutest scene of him teaching her how to be a monkey and it's so funny and charming and almost a little sad because you're like, this is the first time this kid has like
0: exercised an imagination. Yeah. yeah. But the, the, when they're in the mirror, like looking so they can see how they look with the like, okay, scratch your side. Now I love how noise. serious
1: he's taking it too, because it kind of matches Susan, right? Like she's mm-hmm. a very serious kid. She's not the type of kid that's just going to half-ass it. Like if she's going to imagine she's a monkey. She's going to want to do it the best way she possibly can. And he's going to make sure she is prepared
0: oh to be gosh. the best monkey possible. I relate to that. It's like, if you're not serious about the fun, <laughs> are you even having fun? Getting you to do something
1: you're not immediately amazing at is so hard.
0: <laughs> it's because I got to make it my business to be the best. No, not nice. the best.
1: Playing video games with you sometimes.
0: <laughs> I've tried to calm down a little bit.
1: I know. You've gotten better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Probably for the better betterment of my mental health, if we're being honest, but...
1: but I, we cut from kind of them doing that. We have Fred and Doris in the kitchen. Can I just say, I love that Fred has his little apron and that he's helping cook. I have the biggest crush on Fred Gailey.
0: He is amazing. And again, their whole relationship is very progressive. Now I will say, and I think I I told you this where I I like these little vignettes with Doris and Fred. For some reason, I wish there was like a little bit more explicit around like, okay, they are kind of going steady, but at the same time, you do kind of get that. And I don't think it really detracts, but I still, I know. there's I mean, my I w- nitpick. <laughs> I would have also loved
1: to see them interact more because they're really good scenes. Um, but here we're establishing that he's a lawyer. He like has the ambitions to maybe open his one, mm-hmm. own firm one day. I think like there is a point where we kind of like seem to jump ahead a little bit. And it's like, oh, they are dating because the- she like walks in the door and he's like, hello, darling. And they like kiss. And we're like, okay, so they are dating now. So I agree that there is kind of a little skip. I don't think it detracts. I, too, also could have just watched <laughs> scenes of them interacting as well, because I love both those actors. I love both those characters. And mm-hmm. I think I liked those scenes. So I agree. But anyway, Fred comes out to see the monkey chaos happening. And I love how he immediately is like, oh, Doris is not going to like this. But this is delightful. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets a little mischievous. And he's like, well, Chris, you know, like, I I have room in my apartment. Like, I, you want to be my roommate? Because he immediately sees how good for Susan this is. And I think also is extrapolating that to Doris, right? Mm -hmm. Like he, I think he, he sees that she has also shut herself off because there is the bit earlier where she's talking about the imagination. She's like, and then they grow up and they think there's this fantasy world and it disappoints them. And he goes, we're not talking about Susan anymore, are we? So like, I think, yeah, he's like, Chris, he's like, Chris is good for these people.
0: But I love this scheme because both, fred and chris have their ulterior motives like purest sweetest motives but yes, motives But they're still
1: mis- <laughs> like mischievous about it and i like it
0: and you really get to see that in the the two two bedtime scenes so the first one with suzy like chris is finally getting Susie to open up about what she really wants now she has the most like adult but not adult christmas want because on the one hand she's like okay i want a house with backyard but with it's so swing. that I can go play in the swing. Yeah. And so that is such a perfect encapsulation of her character.
1: <laughs> this is the only bit where I'm like, oh, that's such like American dream. Like, oh, for You sure. don't actually have it unless you have the house, which I think is bullshit. I think. I think home ownership isn't a requisite for happiness.
0: I would 100% um, agree.
1: But I think it's really showing that like Susan, I think like she's happy with her mom, but she feel like... Like, there definitely is something missing for them.
0: It's clear she wants to be a kid and she understands that she's... Like, I don't think she would put it in those words, but it's clear that she is missing out on some of that fun, kid-like whimsy and just play.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, having a swing in your backyard would be, like, freaking fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm not going to fault her for that. <laughs> now, as an adult, I don't
1: want a yard because I don't want to do yard work. But as a kid...
0: When you didn't have to do, well, yard I did work. to do yard work. No, I get that. So so that was the first scene. And then the second one, which I, I love here.
1: Oh, there is a moment that I want to say where Chris is kind of playing matchmaker with Doris and Fred, and he's basically like, you should ask her out, basically being like, you should ask her out. And Fred's like, I've tried that. And he goes, well, try harder. <laughs>
0: Was it this scene though? Because it's Amazing. it's like Chris Cringle is yes. getting ready for bed, and he's like talking to Fred about what he wants, and he's like, "Oh, you know, I want to." Fred is saying, yeah. "This want to move out to Long Island, you know, get a nice house because I'm a high powered lawyer, whatever, whatever, whatever." And I'm like, "Oh, I see what Chris is like scheming this, now." Yes,
1: this is the matchmaker
0: because he was not sure he was going to be able to get Susie. No, that house. which is a
1: heartbreaking moment. But I I appreciate that like he is about bringing joy. Chris is the middle ground right between Fred and Doris like Mm -hmm. he's about bringing the joy and like the whimsy and the imagination but he's also not going to lie to the kid.
0: He said that he'd do his best. He did not promise that it would happen.
1: Which Susan because like as much as she acts like a little grown-up she is still a kid she feels kind of betrayed by that.
0: Yeah we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. The ending is perfect but I'm like okay I see what's going on now. I see how this is all going to come together and it's beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) So we get a little bit of vignette of all the business side of things. And again, hitting on that theme of like anti-commercialism. When
1: Macy's now has the book that they have all their sales people have that has all of the yeah. stuff from other department stores. And you see the clerk actually telling women like, we don't have that. But I think Gimbel's, which is the like biggest competitor for them. hmm. He's like, I think they have it. Oh, yes, they have it here. And like kind of doing the and at a very good price. Like you should go there. And she's so like, I'm going to shop
0: here all the time now. But Gimbal's scene where he's like, how dare you all not have thought about this first, which is just <laughs> yes. great. I'm like, OK, this is not necessarily the most intuitive thing for a marketing person of that era to think of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it leads to this like mini arms race of like, OK, we're doing it in New York. It is now like a, it's it- like
1: a kindness arms race. <laughs>
0: Yes, which I love because again, it's the, it's accomplishing Chris Kringle's goal. Yes, by using people's wants against them. <laughs> it's, it's
1: wonderfully subversive. Now let's talk about where shit gets a little serious. So this is where Chris is talking to Alfred, who seems very down. This poor freaking kid.
0: Well, this goddamn Sawyer is ruining yes. his life.
1: Apparently, Sawyer, who like. Actually, isn't we kind of find out a credentialed psychologist? Um, I think Chris calls him a meddling amateur.
0: Well, and it's we do hear that he's there to do aptitude tests, not to provide daily therapy sessions to a 17 year old uh janitorial clerk,
1: yes, which is what he's doing. And he's telling Alfred that you like to like be Santa at Christmas time and like bring joy to kids at the local rec center. That means you did something terrible in your past that you're subconsciously trying to make up. I also love the, or make up for. I love the uh, line where Alfred goes, and apparently I hate my father. I didn't know I did. Mr. Sawyer says I did.
0: And I'm sitting here, of course, with lots of research that has happened on psychology and the concept of implanted memories and all yeah. that fun stuff where I'm, I'm just thinking, oh, Sawyer.
1: When I love that Chris, yes, and I love that Chris doesn't go all in on psychology because for a moment I was like, oh, does this get a little bit like anti-psychology and therapy? No. Chris is like, I have great respect for that profession. I think it's very important. This is the user meddling amateur and Sawyer's being a baby and Chris conks him on the head with an umbrella. And again, I love that. And of course, Sawyer's like, I'm assaulted. And I was like, you were a dick. (laughs) But... I love that it took, it wasn't something that somebody said to Chris, which is, I think, the distinction Mm because Sawyer was like, someone's going to tell him that Santa's not real and he'll snap. It wasn't something they did to Chris. It was something they did to somebody else, a more vulnerable person, a child. uh,
0: Yes. And Chris was there to defend him. Yeah. And I swear, he calls Sawyer a miserable, contemptible fraud. And I just, it was everything I needed. Everything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, but I got really, really angry with how things went downhill from here. Because mm-hmm. of coir- course, Sawyer is going to be using this to his advantage because he does not want Chris in here.
1: But he also doesn't want Mister Macy to know. You sniveling coward! Okay,
0: you. it's great, so great to to skip like way ahead.
1: Well, they get him committed committed to Bellevue, which I I was like, this is. This has to be illegal. Like, they didn't even contact next of kin. They didn't call Dasher. They didn't call Comet. Prancer would never have let this happen.
0: Rudolph would have been like, I'm breaking you out right now (laughs) with my laser nose. No.
1: But they do, I think, eventually contact Fred. And Fred's like, I'm sorry. Wait, what is this mess? And they don't tell Doris, but they use Doris to lure Chris out to the car that they then kidnap him in to go to Bellevue.
0: They tell him this lie about, like, Going and getting a photo op with the mayor, which is just so underhanded.
1: <laughs> I know. And that they use Doris after she's been like, somebody else is going to have to tell him because she's like, I'm not going to do this. Because at this point, she's like, I don't think she necessarily. I don't think any of them, with the exception of maybe Susie at this point, really believe he's Santa. But they're mm. kind of like, but he is like, like Santa's not real. But this man embodies all of those qualities. Like, you know, they're they're like, I, you know what? If you believe, I believe. Like, I believe in you.
0: Well, and he's not deserving of commitment.
1: No, of course not. And so she's, she's like, I'm not going to have Committal? any of this. Committal? Commitment?
0: Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Continue.
1: Skullduggery? Uh, yeah, um. he doesn't
0: deserve to be the subject of this one dude's power trip. No, absolutely Which also, not. I love that he is 100% the dog that caught the car <laughs> after this happens. Because <laughs> yes, yes. Sawyer gets read the riot act by Macy because he's like, you did what? Well,
1: before that happens, Fred goes uh. to visit... Him in Bellevue, which thank God Fred's a lawyer, because Chris is basically like, I, yeah, I, he answered all of the aptitude questions wrong. And Fred's like, You did this on purpose. Like, why? And he, I think this is where I texted you and I was like, I love Gwen's performance because he's so human and feels so real. He feels betrayed because he thinks Doris mm-hmm. had a hand in this. And Fred explains, like, no, like they just told you she did, but like she didn't. And the reason she didn't want to tell you is because like she considers you a friend and mm-hmm. it was breaking her heart that like you were going to have to be like, oh, and
0: there's part of me that's oh. still like, if you like, you should still be the one, even if it's hard, but I understand why she I didn't don't think want she,
1: to. I don't think she foresaw it going this way. Like, yeah. I think if she, if she thought this was going to happen, I think she absolutely would have stepped in and done something. But you have Chris deciding to fight and Fred kind of like boosting him up. Um, And he's like, well, it is going to be tough. Like, I'm not going to lie to you, but we can fight it. Like, I'm willing to do this if you are.
0: And this was not the courtroom drama that I was expecting, but it was the courtroom drama that I'm so glad we got because he arrives at the judge just in the nick of time to prevent the signing of the commitment papers. And the prosecutor's like, oh, this is closed and shut, judge. But nope. (laughs) Nope.
1: yeah
0: nope I love it and then it.
1: this is the bit where I was like Sawyer you goddamn weasel because he's like oh this can't go to court
0: well, the publicity is, oh, the publicity
1: God. and I love that Fred's like oh yeah the publicity you know I'm not gonna win this case unless the public's on my side publicity that's a great idea thanks Sawyer <laughs> I was like
0: I just love yes. this. he is so full of piss and vinegar And then doesn't understand, like, how to actually get shit done.
1: No, it's like, oh, it's the, uh, oh, what is this? The consequences of my own actions. (laughs) I love it. So we have the trial commencing. Doris is kind of, like, not happy Fred's doing it at first because...
0: Well, Fred quit his job over it because his long-ass lawyer company name with, like, three (laughs) repeated same name. I can't even remember it. It's
1: a funny joke. It's
0: hilarious. He quit, and she is like, what?
1: Well, I love when she's like, your security. i want to be like, Doris, I'm pretty sure you, like you, I see the apartment you're providing, like you're gonna be- honey, you can be the sugar mama. Like yeah, you'll be He you could fine. be
0: kept by you and everything to be, be like, fine.
1: He could, he could be stay at home dad. Okay, it would be such a good <laughs> stay at home dad. But anyway, like, and he even says, he's like, well, I'll open my own firm. And she's like, well, in what kind of cases are you going to get? And he's like, probably a lot of people like Chris, which she's like, sees as a bad thing. and so he's so noble. Like, I know. But he's like, this is why I became a lawyer anyway. Like I what's the point if I'm not helping people who need help? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, My I'm heart. in love with you. <laughs> but uh, what is this? Another fictional character I've fallen in love with. But yeah, I love, I love that bit. And then I, again, that's another scene with the two of them where they don't agree, but they are listening to each
0: other mm-hmm.
1: and it doesn't break the relationship, which I like. Like, it.
0: I feel like it puts them on the rocks for a little bit though.
1: It puts them, I think in dangerous territory, but I just, I don't know. I mean, we, we see Doris kind of change her mind later, but I just, I want to talk about the setup for this trial. So you have this judge who's up for reelection and his like campaign person is like, dude, you don't want to be the asshole who locks away Santa Claus.
0: And rules that Santa Claus is not real.
1: I love when he's like all those kids and I'm like, those kids will not be reading the papers, but Okay. <laughs>
0: Well, but his okay. so we get the the news. So we understand that everybody knows that this is happening.
1: These crazy headlines. But the
0: way that he talks about this, where it's like, okay, well, if Santa's not real, they're not going to put up their stockings and all those toys aren't going to get bought. So all of the people who manufacture the toys are going to have to lay off all these wonderful union workers who are then going to be like, we're not voting for that son of a bitch. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but but.
1: (laughs) very similar to what he says. I think the guy doesn't say son of a bitch. And that's the only thing that was different, honestly. But I love. Yeah. So like, that's great. That's going on with this judge. I love that even the freaking judge gets a little bit of like character development and story art.
0: Because he also see we see him with his grandkids.
1: I love that everyone's kids
0: are snubbing them.
1: (laughs) yes. I love that his, ki- his grandkids won't give him a hug because they know that he's the judge presiding over the Santa trial. Mm-hmm. And I love that even his wife is like, yeah, they're mad at you because of that. And frankly, I am, too.
0: <laughs> the prosecutor gets that, too, where it and this line I loved because it's like, OK, the, the prosecutor's wife is there and she's like doing her thing. And she's like, how dare you do this? I wish I had married like a plumber or a tradesman. And <laughs> he
1: goes, if I lose this case, you might get your way,
0: <laughs> which I thought was funny, but also like, dude. Take away the message. I know, nope. but I was yeah. I
1: love that everyone's families are like, how dare you?
0: Okay, for the sake of this movie, I'm totally chill with all of this because yes, it was great. Same. I'm also terrified that that's how things actually happen, and I'm it, it, to some extent probably is. But anyway, I'm going to leave that for another time.
1: Th- <laughs> I'm just going to live in this fantasy for yeah, a while.
0: Exactly. So the trial itself is is actually a delight now, and it it's done in a couple short vignettes. Mm-hmm. So the interview. Chris on the first one. And I love that they end it with him saying, I am Santa, and everybody just rests. And it's like, oh, is this the end?
1: Because, well, they think um, the defense is like, yeah, they're just going to have him deny everything. Like, it'll be fine. And that's not Gailey's strategy. And I like that he basically is like, can you definitively prove that this man isn't Santa?
0: Not going to lie. Like, back in college, it was like, until you prove that it can't be, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm like, this is such a brilliant strategy.
1: I mean it's it's so it's so good, and John Payne plays it so well and so likable, and also Edmund Gwynn's doing just so much wonderful work as santa and i I have to note that I was like Fred plays dirty, and I love it because he subpoenas the district attorney's son. And I love the like when he turns around the courtyard because they're like, I call like so and so, so and so to the stand, and he's um like you're calling me, and then Fred just goes
0: junior, junior.
1: <laughs> and he turns around, his wife and son are in the courthouse, and I love that he's like, what the fuck, and his wife just holds up the subpoena and is like, I don't know, and I was like, I'm pretty sure you can't subpoena like a six year old, but it's funny I'll, for this movie. Oh again, I'll I will
0: lean into the fantasy on this because the kid is like, of course it's Santa, like he points at Santa. To be like that is Santa.
1: Yeah, there's and and I love that the district attorney because Fred's like asking the kid, like, do you believe in Santa and stuff? And the district attorney's like, I object. And I love when the judge is like overruled, because he's tone. like, This is so <laughs> fun. And the like, who told you Santa's real? My dad. Would your dad ever lie to you? Oh no, my dad would never lie. Like you should never tell a lie. And I love
0: the this. social engineering going on. It's and
1: this awful. and this is the point because what the the DA was trying to say it was he was trying to get the judge to rule that there just was no Santa. So therefore, this guy cannot be Santa, which, of course, everyone's like, you want to be the asshole who says there's no Santa? Like, go right ahead. But after his son's on the stand, I love the Your Honor, the state of New York concedes the existence of Santa Claus,
0: <laughs> which is great. So then it flips to having to prove that Chris Kringle is Santa Claus
1: is the one and only
0: which is such a high bar. But
1: yeah. Um, and this is where Fred's getting kind of nervous. Oh,
0: for sure. But off to the side, we get this beautiful scene in the post office.
1: Well, first, there's the letter that Susan oh, writes right, to Chris, right, right, right. Yes. And it's just this really sweet letter of like, I believe in you. And I love that Doris reads it. And then she adds her own note at the bottom that's like, I believe in you too. Oh.
0: And I just... We've gotten there. It's oh,
1: great. Which... We have, we then have the scene in the post office where, and this is the bit where I'm like, coincidence or Christmas miracle?
0: I don't care, but it was hilarious because this dude's like, okay, look, I just got this Santa letter and it was addressed to the courthouse. Like not the North Pole, not just Santa, the courthouse. You know, it'd be really great. And
1: this, this other guy's like, haven't you heard Santa's on trial? Like, (laughs) oh, you know what would be really funny? Instead of having these just masses of letters we get to Santa every year and can't do anything with, let's just deliver them all to the courthouse
0: which okay this is one of those other things where it's like the impact is great the motives are questionable
1: (laughs) i i love that it's a stupid joke that like makes the difference because we cut to the courthouse you have chris reading the letter from susan and doris and i he's just smiling you have fred coming in being like hey chris like i have bad news like i was up all night i can't I don't have a way to spin this. Like, I'm so sorry.
0: And nobody would come. I tried to get
1: experts because the DA was like, we want him getting definitive experts for V-Santa. And he's like, no one will go on the record. He's like, I called the governor. Like, I I think we're done. And Chris is like, has the letter and he's like, this is what I wanted. like, this is worth it. Like, I don't care what happened.
0: Oh, he reached out to two people and touched them in a good way.
1: And, then you have you cut to the DA being like, he's got nothing. You have someone from the courtroom walk over, like whisper something to Fred, and he's like, Yeah, whatever, like go away. And they're like, No, no, no come on. <laughs> so we see him leave. We cut to the DA's closing arguments, and they're like, They've got nothing, all of this shit. Like this. Which man they is Santa. started without
0: Fred, bullshit.
1: I know. But it's so that he could have this entrance in. With the
0: three letters that so three letters. he so assuredly shows.
1: But she shows the judge, he's like, I have new evidence. Well, first, he reads the whole bit about the post office and everyone's like, what does this have to do with anything? His
0: line of logic is impeccable because he (sighs) essentially builds a case to say that if the post office delivers a letter to a person, it is that person by law.
1: And as a government agency, if the post office recognizes somebody is that person the U.S. government, like the federal U.S. government is recognizing that person as somebody. Does
0: that hold up in court? I have no clue, but for this case, I'm okay Shall we
1: see? (laughs) So he produces those three letters and he's like, these three letters were delivered, like here, this man is Santa. And I love how the is like, it's just three letters. And the judge is like, yeah, that's just three letters. And he's like, well, I I have more. And the judge is like, I want them all.
0: On my desk. Oh,
1: I love that. This is where I have the note, Freddie, beautiful, brilliant bastard. Yes. (laughs) he's like i don't know sir like there's and the judge is like no i want them all here on my desk he's like but you don't understand i want them all here on my desk just turns around like summons them bags. The parade and bags and bags stuffed of letters and that they, they, they do just this, dump onto the desk
0: and they do this glorious gag where the last they don't know that the last guy is coming and they try to close the door and it's like oh nope one last dude with just one bag needs to get through and it's clear that there's a mountain of letters like the judge literally has to push them off the desk that's one that's it's a my great favorite great shot. shot in the movie
1: oh and just the the u.s government and post office recognizes this man of santa claus end of story and i love that the judge is like case dismissed yeah, case dismissed this man's santa
0: the judge was so happy he had an out <laughs> so happy <laughs> yes so everybody's jubilant trial is done doris ends up getting invited to This Christmas, do at the house, home, yes. I
1: love. Well, she invites Chris back that because we find out that the trial happened like on Christmas Eve, basically. Like, it's dismissed, and she's like, Oh, she's like, basically apologizes to him for everything. Like, is like, I consider you a great friend, I believe in you, like, we'd love to have you over for dinner tonight. And he's like, It's Christmas Eve, I can't. I (laughs) love her, just like, Oh. Oh, of course, I forgot. And he's like, um, but we're having a big thing tomorrow at like the I guess it's I guess it's a retirement home, right? I think so. It, yeah. I I would love if you guys would come up and celebrate. She's like, of course. Like she's like, there's no one I'd rather spend Christmas Day with, which
0: soaks oh, my heart.
1: So she, Susie, and Fred all go up there. Alfred is Chris's assistant. And the way oh, Susan just runs straight for the tree.
0: Cause she believes at this point, like full on believes. Yeah, and, and she so
1: clearly crushed. doesn't find what she's looking for, which her mom tries to be like, well, there's so many presents for you. And she's like, but not the one that like I asked for that he said he'd get me. And she's like, you know, I I knew he wouldn't. You're right. He's just an old man with nice whiskers or a nice old man with whiskers, I think, is what she always says.
0: But is this where uh, Doris drops the line about faith? uh being she re she re-quotes
1: that, something that fred had said
0: yeah faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to something like that yeah. it's oh and that you you see susie with the i believe i believe this entire yeah, i believe
1: i believe it's silly but i believe
0: and santa <laughs> which i love the clever bastard is like here are some directions to avoid traffic.
1: traffic um and he's like susan i know you're really mad at me like i'm so sorry i tried
0: <laughs> <laughs> these directions are to a house obviously. Well,
1: they're driving by it and Susan sees the house and the for sale sign is like, stop the car! And they're all like, what?
0: And then just barges into this house. What in the 1940s shit is this?
1: It's her house, Ian. Her room is exactly like she knew it would be. I love when she runs out to the window in the back and looks out and goes, it's there, the swing. I knew it was there. My heart. And she explains that that's what she had asked for. Mm -hmm. And I love that moment where you have Fred and Doris talking, and he he's basically being like, you know, I know he's not Santa, but like, you know, I had to like, he's being all proud of himself and everything, and then they see the cane,
0: and i'm like, oh, it couldn't be, could it?
1: But it may be. But it it is. might be.
0: They also had such a sweet exchange when Susan says something along the lines of that faith quote, and and Fred is like, wait, you you actually told her that, Doris? And yeah. then she's like, yeah, and it kiss immediately. So it's like, okay, yes. good. They have found their common ground. It is wrapped up. Yep. It's the same house from the brochure that is wrapped up. It's such a good I, I, ending. There's
1: something that I think Susan says and they're like, um, basically like, well, we can't disappoint her whatever, which is really sweet. Um, I love the bit, too, where Doris says something about it was just my silly common sense. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's the perfect ending.
0: I, oh, I needed this movie.
1: It's so good.
0: Thank you so much for suggesting this over i, I arguably have, a great but going to definitely be a downer Vietnam yes. War film
1: I must have i i have I have been thinking it's actually been a little while since I've watched this film, so like traditionally, like I said, my family would watch it every year, but I've actually not been home for the past couple thanksgivings. Mm-hmm. So I've not actually watched it and I must have just been thinking about it. Cause when you like said that, I was like, I immediately have this other film that I want to watch.
0: Okay. You pulled that out of your back pocket so fast. I was shocked. <laughs> I was, I was
1: somehow cr- coincidence or Christmas miracle. I don't know. Am I Chris Kringle? <laughs> anyway, um, fully recommend this movie.
0: Uh, same. And it's, just such a delight and it is it's not a very long movie but so much happens and you get such a rich development of some really great characters that you come to love and yeah. the ending is satisfying and it's just all perfect it's kind for a, of a perfect film. movie it's yeah.
1: kind of a perfect movie um so i said we would return to this at the end of the, the podcast do you think this should have beaten out gentleman's agreement for best picture
0: It has been a long time since I've seen Gentleman's Agreement, and that is one of the films that I probably would not have watched again. So in terms of Ian's Academy Awards, yes, it would beat it out because I I think the characters are fuller, more interesting. You're invested in the story in a way that I don't recall being as much. Now, of course, I could just be totally making a liar of myself because, again, it's been a while since we watched this for the podcast. but. Like, given the additional perspective of the the winners after and this, I, gentlemen's agreement is not near the top of my winner list.
1: Agreed. Again, like to reiterate what we both said earlier, I fully understand why gentlemen's agreement won. I think it was, you know, about things that, I mean, still pertinent today. Mm-hmm. Definitely very pertinent back then. Um, just having come out of World War II, I do think. That for me, Miracle on 34th Street also wins. Because I Gentleman's Agreement is it was almost a little bit forgettable.
0: I wouldn't say almost. Again, the fact that I am struggling, and this is maybe just me being myself that doesn't remember anything, but I do struggle to remember anything except broad plot points from that film. Yeah.
1: Same. Um I have a couple there's a couple like images that I remember, like Gregory Pegg standing at the hotel desk. Mm-hmm. I remember that movie having a very rocky start. I remember the pacing not being so as good. I agree that you have fuller characters in this one, and you even have these smaller characters that get little arcs. I also re- feel like I remember the commentary in *Gentleman's Agreement* being extremely heavy-handed. Like it, like it didn't seem as seamlessly woven into plot and character the way I think. Miracle on thirty fourth Street's commentary is mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think it wins for me too, but I definitely understand.
0: yeah, and it's not to say that Miracle on thirty Fourth Street didn't have a greater message around, like, okay, be okay, I, I'm going to hate myself for generalizing it this far, but it's basically like, okay, be in the spirit, have a child's eye for things from time to time. Bring joy. That's like a good thing. I, I don't know. It's it's just very yeah. whereas gentleman's
1: agreement is dealing with like
0: anti-Semitism, and, yeah, yeah,
1: and discrimination. So like, def like I guess, I guess, like you said it earlier, and I think I took issue with it, but I guess, arguably, weightier.
0: Yes, yes, I I think it's much weightier, and especially for the time, probably more, more controversial. I mean, even now, like renewed waves of anti-Semitism. Yeah. So.
1: I mean, definitely still pregnant. I just don't, I just don't think it's as well a constructed movie.
0: That I would agree with completely. Cool. So yeah, highly recommend it.
1: Wraps it up for this episode. I actually don't know what we'll be doing next.
0: It might be Platoon or I think we might need to take a break because it I is a busy s- month. <laughs> it
1: is. It is. One of us is moving.
0: It's not me. It's me. <laughs>
1: So uh, we may just go straight into our other holiday ones. We may do another special episode. I think kind of the general thought is that we will probably kick off 2022 with Platoon. Yeah,
0: we'll kick it off with a bang and it will only go up from there. So, (laughs) Hopefully, because I don't remember
1: what comes after.
0: Well, maybe I shouldn't say only, but.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so thanks for tuning in for this special episode. We will see you next time, hopefully, for whatever that may be. Until then, you can find us on social media. We are at best Pictures Pod on Instagram and Twitter, a little bit more active on Twitter. But yeah, definitely reach out. let us know if you love this movie if you you know it's a yearly favorite of yours, if it's something that maybe you've never seen before, or you only saw it for the first time recently and you can also email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. Great, subscribe, review. You guys know the drill.
0: Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.